Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of A Republic to Keep. I'm your host, Liam Bauer, and thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to us today. For this episode, our topic is cancel culture and free speech in the United States. Specifically, we will be looking at certain instances of books and individuals being canceled or censored for controversial remarks as well as official reprimands for controversial remarks on college campuses. But first, let's go around for some introductions. Dave? Brian? Hi, my name is Brian. Hi. I am um, a graduate 2020 of Marquette University, and I currently go to Marquette University Law School. Thank you, Brian. And Dave? Uh, yeah, my name is Dave. I graduated from Marquette in May of 2020 with a degree in political science. Glad to be here, Liam. Thank you, Dave. And Miranda? Hi, everyone. My name is Miranda, and I'm a junior here at Marquette University. Thank you. And Lisa? Hi, my name's Elisa. Um, I graduated in May of 2020, and now I'm a second-year PT student. Thank you. And Henry? Hi, my name is Henry. I graduated in May 2020 at Marquette. I uh, studied biomedical sciences, and I'll be starting medical school in August. Thank you guys for being here. Also, if you like the show today or would like to listen to our past shows, you can find us on Spotify Podcast under the title, A Republic to Keep. And a reminder to all Wisconsin residents to vote April 6th for the state superintendent of public instruction and various state judicial positions. Merriam-Webster defines cancel culture as the practice or tendency of engaging in mass canceling, withdrawing support, as a way of expressing disapproval and exerting social pressure. Usually, this takes the form of encouraging boycotts of prominent individuals or encouraging the removal of individuals from positions due to disagreeable opinions or actions. While individuals have been canceled in society for repugnant illegal activities, such as Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein, Others have been canceled socially for controversial views, such as Gina Carano, the actress from The Mandalorian. We will be looking at the latter in our discussion, those canceled for controversial political views, as well as cancellation's potential consequences for free speech in the United States. In popular culture and media, the books of several prominent authors, such as Dr. Seuss and Mark Twain, have come under fire recently. States such as New Jersey in 2019 have called for Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn to be removed from school curricula, while six of Dr. Seuss's books will be removed from publishing after Dr. Seuss Enterprises stated that the books contained racially offensive images. Further, actress Gina Carano was fired from the Disney Plus show The Mandalorian after fans called for her removal due to controversial political tweets, including one comparing political censoring in the United States to the treatment of Jews in Nazi Germany. So for our first question, I'd like to ask the group, should publishers acquiesce to calls from the public to censor these books? What do we think? Should a publisher, for instance, let's start with Dr. Seuss, and the ra uh, they are saying racially offensive images. Usually, 
most of these images are targeted towards Asian Americans, for instance, and Asians in general. So what would we say that those images, especially in light of what's going on in the United States today against that group, should these images be pull, pulled from the book, fold from the racks or taken off the presses? That's an interesting point. Um, this is Brian, by the way. I, I don't know. See, I think that definitely the images that are offensive, the images that um, are, are both offensive, harmful, and misrepresenting communities like that um, should definitely be removed from, you know, the book. Um, and if not removed from the book, um, I think we're going to get into this later, but I'm a big proponent for um, kind of disclosures or um, viewer discretions, as you can say, in like, like a print format. Um, and I'm also kind of curious what you guys think about possibly removing, um, like, uh, a picture from a book or maybe lines or words from books, um, while keeping the book intact as a whole, um, that might lean more into censorship, uh, which can get dangerous as we know. Um, but I'm curious what you guys think about something like that as kind of a compromise between the two sides. Um, but I want to hand it off to someone else. And I would also, the for the kind of sense, the advisory statement, Disney Plus has actually used this statement on several shows, for instance, including The Muppets and several movies, including Peter Pan, that ha says, let me see here. I actually pulled it up if you want me to read it. Of course, yep. So it says that um, the coming program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or culture. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. So how do we feel about that? Should, should I guess there's two sides, there's three sides of this. One, should we have these books, uh, for instance, we'll include uh, Huckleberry Finn in this also. But should we have these books and these images just out to the public without? Is the warning label too onerous? Is that a violation here? Or should we have these books, these images out there, but with that peer uh, viewer discretion or reader discretion label? Or should we just sense, just not have these at all? Should we really stop publishing of these books? altogether. I actually think, um, this is Elisa, by the way, um, I think that it's really important to have the viewer discretion. I think that, um, like Brian said before, censorship is kind of one of those things that, you know, you, they, it can be harmful to an extent um, in terms of like r erasing history or erasing um, like a past ideology of how um, people of color were depicted. Um, but I do think that the viewer discretion is pretty, um, is like a really good idea just because I think especially for consumers of Disney or consumers of Dr. Seuss, like those are very young and impressionable people. And I think that when um, you have negative images like that, um, it, it really can like impact them in a harmful way. And what would you say that intent is something to look into here, the, the intent of the author? If Dr. Seuss, for instance, intended to have a certain ethnicity depicted in a certain way, would that factor into this as well? Um, I think intent is very important to look, to look into, but
but it can't be like an all or none thing um, because how people respond to something, whether it's your intent, that's still their impression of it and it still could be offensive to them, whether it was the author's intent or not. And an interesting thing about Dr. Seuss, or Theodore Geisel, as his real name is, he was in World War II vocally uh, anti-Japanese and supported uh, Japanese internment as well. He also drew anti-Japanese propaganda that was put into magazines and newspapers in World War II as well. Uh, in 1953, he visited Japan and saw the aftermath of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki atomic bombings. After this experience, he reversed his opinion, and actually, Horton Hears a Who, one of his other famous books, is about, in a way, apologizing for that. A person, a, a person, no matter how small, saying that everybody is a person, everybody should be valued no matter really who they are. So in light of that... Should the, that be factored in, his past remarks and his past anti-Japanese sentiments? If you're talking in terms of, like, canceling somebody, <laughs> if that's, like, the topic that we're talking about today, um, I'm not necessarily sure that, like, all of his content needs to be um, thrown out just because of his maybe racist past. I think that a lot of people can grow, and when, um, you know, presented with new information, like, you know, some people can be very apologetic and sorry for their past remarks. Um, but that isn't to negate the fact that maybe in those times when he was very anti-Japanese, that that was a very harmful uh, content that he was putting out at, during that time. Um, I think that, like, in terms of that, like, I guess, like, was that kind of more your question, Liam? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that, like, his growth, you know, as a person, like that is kind of your own personal opinion. Um, but I think that like the content that he made when he was being uh, anti-Japanese should be regarded just as that very racist. Mm -hmm. So really put things in a certain light. Make sure that it's not we don't censor history or whitewash history, but instead have those advisory forms and say this is his our history. This is what happened. However, this is how we should really view it. Definitely. I think if I could hop in for a second, yep. I think what Elisa brought up was a really good point um, about, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong um, in, in misinterpreting this, but if somebody's, how do I say this? If you can just establish someone's intent based on, you know, if you can establish that, Dr. Seuss was racist against Japanese, and um, I'm going to expand it to Asians as a whole. Um, and then he misrepresented or was um, depicting in a harmful way um, Asians in his in his works. Um, I think that that definitely we should either have um, those pulled, those altered, or those um, have viewer discretions. But then. I really appreciate hearing that if someone does change and, you know, like he creates this, uh, every person's a person, no matter how small, um, then those should not be um, like canceled, let's say. So you can you can dissect um, and, you know, actually differentiate between people's different works and their different their arc as a whole um, isn't them. You know, you're not just slapping a label on somebody and canceling them completely, but you can say, yeah, this specific work or this specific thing they said was wrong, but that doesn't make their entire work as a whole or their entire person um, invalid, I guess. Um, 
I don't know if I got that right, but I, I, if that is what was said, then I appreciate that. I like that. Yep. I think something that, that we're all kind of touching on is the importance of how we can use these things to learn from them. Um, I mean, it's important to put things in context in like what we're saying, how some of the anti-Japanese propaganda that he was making could have showed up in his books. Now that's harmful, but then giving the whole story um, and using that as a learning experience for people when we look back on that instead of just getting rid of it. And I think that's a really important point to emphasize here is that we shouldn't just, I think that's the danger in canceling is how we can kind of repeat history in some sense when we start to forget mm -hmm. it and how I think it's important that we shouldn't do that. And so, yeah, almost everything that everyone's saying, I think I completely agree with. I definitely think um, going off of what you were saying, um, Brian, was that I think that uh, for me, at least, I actually up until right now didn't realize that um, Dr. Seuss did have that anti-Japanese uh, propaganda within his body of work. I think that when you're consuming media or when you're just consuming honestly anything, like you're kind of not thinking about the person behind it. You're looking at what you're reading for what it is, you know? Like, I've read Horton Hears a Who. I thought it was great. <laughs> I had no idea he was anti-Asian, you know? Um, <laughs> so, like, I, I, think, I think that's a big thing, and especially with, like, the viewer discretion. Like, I don't think that people are necessarily looking at what, who's behind the work. You know, they're reading what's exactly in front of them. I guess to shift, I guess, to a more controversial individual, and since we're especially very relevant to cancel culture right now, Gina Carano. So this was the woman who was recently, quote-unquote, canceled and fired from her role in The Mandalorian because of her controversial political tweets. So one, the, I guess the straw that broke the camel's back here was her tweet that said, because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. So that was the main tweet that people said were anti-Semitic and that many fans called for her removal from the show. So, And she also had many tweets uh, promoting uh, several conspiracy theories, stating that Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself, that the 2020 election uh, was rigged, which is actually a pretty prominent belief on many conservative circles. So what do we think about this? Should companies give in to these calls? And was this tweet really something to be fired over, to have this kind of social reaction? Yeah. Um, I think there's other pieces that we should discuss before we get into what I'm going to say, but I'm just going to kind of shoot it out there right away anyways. Um, somebody told us in our preparation for this discussion today, I believe, just to circle back to Lisa, um, <laughs> that all this is kind of a market, you know, a market response. Um, when you say, should there have been such a big social, I don't know the words you said, Liam, like a social response to this, um, I don't think that, uh, from my perspective at least, I don't think that there should or shouldn't have been a social response to this in the way that there was. I think that um, the individual people that are making these decisions to support her or, you know, um, or not support her kind of come from themselves. And if enough people don't like a certain pair of shoes that Nike's selling, then that shoe's going to get discontinued. It's just kind of the fact of it, at least from my perspective. Um, 
So if, if she, you know, if enough people don't like the things that uh, Gina Carano are, is saying, then she's not going to be supported anymore and she's going to lose her job. Um, and I can, you know, if anyone disagrees with me, please say it. But um, that's kind of my view on situations like this. Same with Dr. Seuss, to circle it back to him. If people, if enough people see that viewer discretion, let's say, and still say, hey, I don't like this, this is a racist book, then they're not going to buy it. And you could say it was canceled, you can say it was just didn't meet the market demand, but I would say the latter, so. I would also argue, though, that I don't think everybody who watched The Mandalorian or even everybody with liberal views who watched The Mandalorian, went to Disney Plus and basically asked for her removal. It seems a lot of times in these cancel culture, in cancel culture that a very small but motivated group is the one asking for these removals, asking for these uh, reprimands. So is it really a market response, or is it really a response to the loudest and most... Uh, vocal fans out there. So if I could actually pitch in on this one. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to go back to Brian's point and kind of tackle uh, your point as well, Liam. So Brian, your point actually reminded me of an old quote from a uh, former Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who essentially said the First Amendment is essentially a marketplace of ideas. So I kind of um, was thinking about that when you brought up your point of how people can, if there is viewer discretion, people can choose not to buy the book which is something I uh, personally agree with. And Liam, going back to your point of, uh, about how this is really much more like a minority group that really vocalizes this strong opinion, I agree with you 100% on that. At the end of the day, I really don't think your average person really cares about these issues. Most people are just thinking, do I have enough uh, food to pay for my rent and um, you know, support my family? No one's really thinking at the end of the day, oh, Dr. Seuss is a racist. I'm not going to buy this book. <laughs> what does concern me, though, is... Um, this small minority, if they continue really gaining uh, some form of momentum, I think it essentially suppresses people into really supporting these ideas because they don't want to be branded as a racist. You need to kind of see what's going on uh, with people like uh, you just mentioned with the with that actor, the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. People just see, uh, see that if you support a uh, minority opinion, people in this day and age, especially with social media, can just silence you, and that's essentially the end of your career. So I kind of think at this point people just agree with essentially this... Uh, Frontends versus social media extremists, because they know that uh, and then the day it could come back to hurt them if they don't support them. If that makes sense, so that's really the point I wanted to make. I see with what, uh, what you're saying there, um, Dave, and it's interesting to uh, like at least from Disney's perspective um, that you're right. You, it's not something either as small as they may be, but as vocal and powerful um, that these voices are. Um, it's not something that you can ignore completely. And um, with Disney, it they have a brand name to protect, and Disney is the company that's um, putting out this show. And if people are giving backlash against the actors and actresses that are on these shows, you can't. Whether it may be right or wrong um, is another question, but you need to do something in response. Otherwise, you could eventually hurt the brand as a whole, not just um, Star Wars, but Disney. Well, what if Disney came out and said in a statement, we don't necessarily agree with Ms. Crano's views. However, we do not give in to uh, calls from fans to silence people because of their political views. 
we are a company and we are uh, not aligned with left or right or any of these promotions. However, we stand by our uh, actresses and actors' abilities to say what they want to and to voice their opinions. So what if they said that? What, what if they were more of a free speech kind of laissez-faire platform instead? Who would blink first? I, because I'm not really convinced that peop- a whole lot of people would stop watching The Mandalorian because of this. Well, I, yeah, I agree. Um, Mandalorian's a great show. Just putting it out there. <laughs> so it's like you're not going to necessarily stop like watching something, stop reading something if it's like good content um, necessarily. Um, but yeah, no, that's a, it's a really, I, I see what you're saying there, Liam. Um, that that's something that Disney could have done, but that's something that they didn't do um, regarding this scenario, but that's something that they are doing now, putting these advisory statements um, with uh, with Aladdin even. I saw with Aladdin, Lady and the Tramp, um, things like that, um, Peter Pan. So they're taking a different course of action now, um, which could totally be something what they're trying to like play the waters with, what's working best in response. So they could be kind of doing a little bit of both. I, I'm not entirely sure. Treading lightly. Yeah. Yeah. If I could actually step in, um, that whole treading lightly actually made me think of something. Um, to what Henry said just a little while ago about, I mean, Disney has a brand to protect, you know. Um, so they kind of, okay, so what Liam was saying earlier was that what if they came out and said, you know, we're going to keep, um, Carano, I forgot her first name, Gina Carano, mm-hmm. um, on, and, you know, we're not going to silence someone or, or silence someone just because of their political views. Um, that kind of makes me think of Henry saying that, you know, they, they do have a brand to protect same with artists, same with, you know, like bands and, and, um, singers and other actors and other organizations, businesses, um, they're they're less likely to take big steps like that because doing that is a bigger risk. Um, and I can see why they would be more willing to be, you know, like fold in worry of being canceled. Um, but that kind of opens it up to, I don't know, is, is this whole cancel culture? Now this is probably going to give me some flack, but is this cancel culture um, more of like a market, like I'm saying, or is it more of like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. People, I don't know, being too quick to cancel things. Um, Mob mentality of a small group. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. You know, um, is Disney and other companies um, kind of at the mercy of this mob mentality or are they doing it? I don't know. I don't know. Are they doing it in response to a market? I don't know. But yeah, if I could jump in here, I have, I think, two points. Um, The first is that um, I think the only reason that this small but powerful group even has power at all is because people give into it. I think that if Disney decided we're we're not going to hire people based on political beliefs, we'd hire based on ability and you're just going to have to deal with it. I think that would have I mean, if more companies did things like that, cancel culture wouldn't be the issue that it is today, I don't think. I mean, it's only because you give in to it and because you feel like you have to apologize for the fear of being labeled as something that you're not. I mean, I think that makes me think it's not a market of ideas, that it's 
Um, I mean, it's just a small group of people, and the only reason they have power is because you give into it. And I don't think that's the way you handle cancel culture, the way you should go about it. And this kind of idea that we have, my second point, I guess, about like the brand of Disney, do conservatives not watch The Mandalorian? I mean, I like that show too. <laughs> you know, like, is that like, so what if Drina Kondo is a conservative? And what she said, I mean, a lot of, it seems like a lot of people putting words in her mouth. Like, is it, I mean, that's historically true is what she said, is that there were, they were spreading all these things about what people believe, labeling Jews as certain things, and that's what made it easy to round them up. And she wasn't saying that about any specific group. It was people who read that and took it a certain way and twisted it to make it believe what they wanted to believe to cancel her. I mean, if did, I mean they I don't think that we should be able to, we should be giving into those kinds of things so easily. Um I think like so yeah, so what Brian brought up at the very very first point with the whole marketing was um kind of like going off of a conversation we had had like in preparation for the show and I just think that like in terms of cancel culture in terms of um this this actress um I think that it really is, though, like, regardless of if it's, like, Disney, like, bending over for these small groups or not, I think that they kind of see it as, like, a negative standpoint of an actress on representing their show, and they just would rather not um, have that along them. I think in terms of people actually getting canceled, most people honestly don't. I think it's more a statement to say that this company does or does not support this person's actions. I mean, people get fired over much less. Like there was some TikTok star that got like fired because he posed naked in like a photo. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like you, you can get, you can get fired for honestly anything. I think that Disney making the statement of this one actress, like, yes, it's like controversial, but I don't think that it necessarily means that like giving into like a mob mentality. I think that, um, like, for example, I think like Louis CK, like he was canceled for I think like eight months and now his shows are getting sold out everywhere. I think that it's kind of more of what you look at it. I don't think that people who are popular genuinely can get canceled forever um, because there's always the other side. I think that um, honestly labeling it as that is kind of more just as backlash to say that, oh, maybe they should have given the right to say what they wanted to, which everyone does. And I would also like to say this, it does seem that these things blow over. People even forget, and cancel culture is just what we call it today. It's been going on for a long time. And uh, I guess we've all heard of the band, the Dixie Chicks, now the Chicks. Well, in 2003, they were canceled. Uh, lead singer Natalie Maines in 2003 on their Top of the World tour in London said, just so you know, we're on the good side with y'all. We do not want this war, the Iraq war, this violence, and we're ashamed that the president of the United States at that time, George W. Bush, is from Texas. Now, just this statement made thousands of small and large radio stations throughout the United States refuse to play the Dix Chicks music at that time. Lipton Tea Company and its promotional contracts with the band and Natalie Maines, th three days later, was forced to apologize to George Bush for her comments which, honestly, there was no violence in the comments towards George Bush. It was really just a pretty standard political uh, view that was being said there. But in 2006, she rescinded her apology with the hit song, Not Ready to Make Nice. So this does blow over. And should really mob mentality, should these small groups 
be able to force these companies? And even if so, even putting aside that, should these companies, because of their own views, just be able to say, we don't like your view, we think it's controversial, and we have just made this our own views that say no to that. And regardless of whether you can be an actress on the show, regardless of whether you're a talent in that, we're going to throw you off now. So how is that for protection of workers and workers' rights in that? Do workers in those shows not have any rights then? Should they just be thrown off for their views because a company decides they don't like them because a small minority says they should? We'll let that marinate. Um, <laughs> well, I guess we can uh, maybe shift then a little bit if uh, we're exhausted that topic for now. Uh, we can shift to more political speech of public officials. So for our second question, um, sorry. Looking at some uh, public officials such as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and uh, former President Donald Trump, Several elected officials have been recently canceled or have pursued efforts to cancel others for certain political views. Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez of New York on Twitter encouraged people to stop buying products from Goya, a Mexican food dispenser, after Goya CEO Robert Unanue voiced support for President Trump at a White House speech. In 2017, President Trump called on the NFL to fire or suspend players who kneel during the national anthem in protest. Finally, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia was stripped of her committee assignments in the House of Representatives after she supported QAnon conspiracy theories and made uh, Islamophobic and false anti-Semitic statements. So should these representatives, such as, uh, be held to a higher standard in terms of free speech? Should President Donald Trump or Representative Ocasio-Cortez be officially condemned for their attempt to cancel others? So if I actually could chime in on this one. So I think uh, it depends on the context, really. So for President Trump, or then President Trump, I would make the argument since he is arguably the highest official on the planet, you really shouldn't suppress this freedom of speech. However, I do think given the events of um, January 6, 2021, I do think Twitter had the Twitter and the social media had the right mindset of uh, possibly just letting go of his social media. Additionally, for uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, um, trying to say people should not buy Goya products, especially uh, people who are Latino, I disagree with that strongly because, of, well, to put it bluntly, but uh, Latino population is very heterodox, not really homogeneous with their political identity. Yep. So I don't think it's right to say all of you guys should support one viewpoint. People are allowed to buy whatever they want, and they should buy whatever they want. And then going back to Marjorie Taylor Greene, or sorry, Congresswoman Taylor Green. I, uh, well, given the events of January 6th, as previously mentioned, I think she should, uh, I think it was right for her to not really have any committees, especially given the fact that she previously has supported, um, what, uh, what is it called again? False. Um, QAnon conspiracy theories? Yeah, exactly. QAnon conspiracy theories, just false, um, just really false uh, theories. So, uh, sorry, the Parkland shooting as an example. So I do think, given the fact that 
what she has said, and given the fact that she's also mentioned how people should actually kill uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, I think she actually does present a dangerous presence to Congress. And I don't say that lightly. I do think that she was elected. She won her election fair and square in 2020, and she should be representing her constituents. But given the fact what she has said and what she has promoted, I think she might, it might be why it was a wise decision by Democrats and 10 Republicans to say she should not have any committee whatsoever. Just by two cents. I'm curious on what you guys think of this. Um, I think I'll, I'll just go back to the original question and come back to what, um, was that Dev was just speaking? Yeah, yep. Okay, yeah, so I'll come back to what he was just saying. Um, I think that elected officials should definitely be held to a higher standard. I think that they're supposed to be. Um, role models for the rest of the country. I think it's it's low of elected officials to say that we should be trying to, um, I guess, reprimand or give like give consequences. I can't think of the exact wording right now, um, but um, kind of trying to figure. Oh my goodness, English, Miranda. <laughs> I don't know. Like, no I, think, worries, like, no I think it. I, do you guys get what I'm trying to say? Like, I think it, it doesn't make sense for elected officials to be encouraging um, certain behavior against people who disagree with you because everybody disagrees in politics on everything. And like what type and I mean, especially now we have all these calls for unity and that's the exact opposite. Um, and I don't think that's fair. And I think that elected officials should be um, better than that, especially. Um, and I guess for Marjorie Green, Marjorie Taylor Green, that I... I'm a little conflicted. Like, I don't agree with the things that she supported, but it seems like all these things that came out, she supported them before she was elected, and they were out there before she was elected, and the people who elected her knew that she knew those things or said those things and still elected her. Um, so I I don't know. And then she came out, like, when some of these videos were resurfacing after she was elected, she said that she doesn't believe those things anymore, that those were – she was just starting to get into politics at that point and was just starting to understand things and that those things don't represent her anymore. So, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know how much I believe that considering how recent it was, the last year or two, or three, I guess some of it was 2018 too. Um, but like we were just talking about earlier with like Dr. Seuss, like he grew and learned things and he kind of apologized with Horton Hears a Who and those kinds of things. Like why, like should forgiveness be extended to her? Should she be given a chance to prove that she doesn't think those things anymore? I don't know. I like your point about um, the fact that she said these things and it was still reelected or was still elected. Um, I'm going to bring it back to the marketplace of ideas. Um, but I think it is important for people to, I don't know, we learned in uh, political science in undergrad that the most, um, sometimes the most effective you know, way for um, decisions to be made and is for people to be presented with the facts, given the facts as um, neutral as possible um, without any bias, and then have them make their own decisions. And I think that is something that would really be beneficial in like these sorts of cases that we're talking about. You know, like um, don't go out there and start encouraging other people to cancel other things. But if they do get canceled in themselves, then that's a different story, you know? Um, like if you don't agree with um, R. Kelly <laughs> because of the things he's done and you don't want to buy his music anymore, that's one thing, you know. But if you are actively saying, hey, fire these people, go, don't buy these products, I mean, that's 
a different story given the position they're in um, as a public official because people are going to listen to that. Um, so that's that's my thoughts. So it's really about everybody has the right if they don't like the Chick-fil-A CEO to not buy a Chick-fil-A sandwich, but do, it's not necessarily the correct thing to do to go out and say everybody shouldn't buy the this chicken sandwich because of this the views of the CEO. It's it's really at, you should saying Brian it's at a personal level then. It's not it shouldn't be forced upon others. Well, I also think that organizing is a certain thing. You know, you can you can organize um, and say, hey, everyone, you if you have these views that you don't agree with, um, I don't know, beating your wife, then don't buy Chris Brown music. But I don't know if I would agree with AOC or Donald Trump getting up there and saying, hey, don't buy Chris Brown music. I mean, this is an extreme case because I think it's. I believe it's subjective, personally, that Chris Brown is a bad person. Um, well, but- and I and agree, I agree, I agree. Chris Brown's a bad person, but let's. I think we should really stick with political views here because I'm, like I said before, there are those that are canceled for illegal activity, like Chris Brown, Harvey Weinstein, pretty strict mm-hmm. acts. But I, I'm, I think we should really focus on political views, like the Gina Caranos out there, or uh, mm-hmm. the Robert Unanaways, things like that. Okay. From, yeah. So that looking at that side. Yeah. Then I mean that's the same thing I would say. Um those are more those are better examples. Um I would still say that you can you can disagree in yourself and I I think there's another facet to that with which being um organizing, but I don't know if a person such as Donald Trump or AOC should use their platform to do that themselves. Should they be officially censored? In, oh, not Well, perhaps not censored is not the word. Should they be condemned in some way then, officially? Or should there be laws on the books that says, say, presidents and congresswomen, congressmen, etc., cannot, cannot officially go out there and cancel people and put a real definition, congressional definition on this? No, I mean that. See, that's that's where it gets tricky because I, I would agree with the reasoning as to why that might be a law, but I would not agree that that should be a law. If you understand what I'm saying, mm-hmm. it's really like, about the that, it's a principle that we should follow. It shouldn't be a forced law. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, on that point too. I mean, elected officials still have free speech. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Mm-hmm. That's definitely. I feel like that would be a major infringement. I mean, just because they're elected officials doesn't mean that. All of a sudden, you have to give up all your rights, either. Okay. And since we have about 20 or so minutes left, I would, if, and if everybody's fine to move on, I really would like to get um, at something that's kind of at the heart of college campuses right now. It's very relevant to us and to hopefully a lot of our listeners. So, free speech and cancel culture on college campuses are hotly debated topics. College professors and students have been reprimanded and suspended for displaying controversial opinions. For instance, right here at Marquette. In the summer of 2020, a Marquette student started a campaign to rescind the acceptance of an incoming freshman. After the incoming freshman posted a TikTok in support of President Trump, 
The students starting the campaign stated that the incoming freshman statements on social media were offensive and that, uh, sorry, I lost my place, <laughs> uh, that the incoming students' statements on social media were offensive and not in line with the school's Jesuit values. However, nothing on the incoming freshmen's social media accounts threatened violence or attacks on any individuals or groups. Further, political speakers such as Ben Shapiro and William Ayers have had their invitations to speak on college campuses rescinded due to the fear that their controversial opinions might incite violence or protest. So I guess the question I would first like to ask would be, should colleges reprimand students and professors for controversial opinions that are nonviolent? And should colleges rescind controversial speakers' invitations due to safety concerns? I think the, the dangerous thing here is what's controversial, saying that that we should have strong immigration. I mean, that's a pretty mainstream conservative Republican view. I mean, just because you disagree with it, I don't think that makes it controversial. I don't think it's controversial necessarily for someone to say they want to be a socialist. I mean, that's your political opinion. I disagree with it. We can talk about it. I don't I don't understand why on the on the conservative side, when there are speakers or people say certain things, why that's all of a sudden controversial and is needs to be looked into and if it should be condemned or not on college campuses, because nobody says that on the left. I definitely think this is an interesting one, specifically with the um, person uh, for who, who the incoming freshman, she, she, I believe, was like a TikToker, right? And um, she, I think one of the biggest things was that in every single one of her TikToks, she was wearing Marquette gear. And I think that a lot of people, not saying that I agree or disagree, but I, I know a lot of people who felt that that was inappropriate because they felt that it was representing their school. And um, they felt that you know, her um, being outspoken about her political beliefs were um, somehow uh, connected to Marquette itself. And um, so at the end of the day, you know, her her um, acceptance into Marquette wasn't revoked. I think that it's interesting, though, because I think with things such as uh, you were saying, who, who was it that who was taken off? What? Oh, the freshman? Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm talking about the speakers. Um, oh, the speakers. Oh. oh, Ben Shapiro and William Ayers. Yes, okay, Ben Shapiro. Okay, yeah, yeah. So for them, like, the concern was that it was going to be violent. Uh, like, there were going to be violent the, the protests potentially. Main, yeah, the main concern the school cited were that they were worried their speak the speakers being there would incite protests, and those protests would turn violent. Okay, okay. I, I mean, I think that, honestly, that kind of is a big concern for, for colleges. You know, you don't want violence on your campus. I mean... I think that, like, at the end of the day, um, you know, if, if the people that you're going to be speaking towards aren't supportive of the speaker that's coming and that there's going to be violence, that, that's kind of, in my opinion, a good enough reason to not invite the speaker over. Okay, so let me, let me put, post this. So what if a, the leader of Black Lives Matter wanted to come to Marquette? And this Marquette said, no, we're, we're afraid that this speaker and a Black Lives Matter march would result in violence. What would you say that? I would say that maybe the speaker should speak uh, over over the telephone. <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, if there's going to be violence, if that guy's going to get killed, like, that's, that's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, like, I, I guess, I mean, I don't know. Like, like, were they getting completely canceled entirely? Like, they weren't allowed to they speak They were not at all? allowed to come to the campus. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
I don't really know. I, I don't have a, honestly a strong opinion on this. Anybody else? I mean, I think it's wrong. I mean, I understand the concern for violence, but then why not tell people if you become violent, then you're going to, you're going to, there's going to be consequences. Like, don't do it. Like, these are, this is just a guy coming to share his opinion. Lots of people come to share their opinions. Like, deal with it. I mean, I don't, I don't know what, how else <laughs> to say that. I mean, I, exactly. Like, if there were a Black Lives Matter speaker coming to campus, if that were violent, tell those people, like, don't be violent. Like, I don't know what, there's going to be police presence. You're going to, there's going to be consequences. You'll be arrested if you, if something starts to happen. Like, these people deserve to have their views shared. We're a college campus. People are supposed to learn from all these different viewpoints and to say, like, oh, we'll just not have it then. Because, I mean, my personal opinion, I think that if there was a Black Lives Matter speaker, they probably would say that and they wouldn't say, oh, well, you just don't come and we won't give you an opportunity to speak at all. But it's Ben Shapiro. So that's just um, that's not acceptable. I don't know. I think that there would definitely be a double standard. Of course, there aren't very many examples because I don't know how many like Black Lives Matter speakers have actual protests at them that would share that kind of thing. But that would be my my assumption, I think. I think that's a great point, Miranda. Um, it's like, especially like. Yeah, it's not right to necessarily censor um, people's beliefs and their statements. Um, but if you do anticipate violence, um, then that definitely needs to be addressed. Violence is not okay in any scenario. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, to kind of make it kind of a little bit full circle, it's like like with Disney adding like a um, like low statement before some of their movies. College campuses can do the exact same thing. So like they can kind of have the advisory statement like, yeah, there may be some controversial opinions and stuff, but you can't necessarily um, go against free speech and that you definitely, like, yeah, maybe advise them to, like, not promote or incite violence, I think is very important. Mm -hmm. A quick point on that, too. I've run a couple conservative groups on campus, and we've brought conservative speakers, and at the beginning of every political event, right, right or left, mm -hmm. Marquette has a required statement that says we don't necessarily endorse these views, and it's just we're a university and people have to learn things, so... So, yeah, that's definitely what universities do do. Yeah, that's, that's great that they do that. And I would like to bring back to the point of the incoming freshman, how people were um, angered that she was wearing Marquette gear while promoting political conservative views and saying this, isn't what, this shouldn't be seen as what Marquette represents, so she shouldn't be wearing this. I, I'm not sure I totally agree that she should be forced not to wear something while stating her own views. For instance, if I am wearing, let me think, if I am wearing a New Glarus t-shirt, a brewery from Wisconsin, a great beer, by the way, um, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm wearing a New Glarus shirt and then I espouse some sort of political view that maybe New Glarus is against, it, should New Glarus be allowed to sue me because then I'm promoting something that they that they are worried that they're going to be connected to? I don't think they should be allowed to sue you, uh, but I think they can express their opinion about it. Because, mm -hmm. um, like, yeah, you can be like, hey, I don't like how you are representing this company or this brand, and they can definitely reach out to the individual, but I don't think legal action... I don't I don't see the how legal action could be taken. But I, I, De Defamation, I, I for instance, or... Um Slander. Yeah, I agree with Henry. I don't think that there should be legal action, yeah. um, but I think there is allowed to be corrections. Like if Nuclearis would pop up and say, hey, by the way, we saw this person was on the news or on this radio show or this, you know, TikTok wearing our stuff and talking about these things. Just, just so you guys know, we don't agree with that. 
Um, but something like Marquette, Marquette can definitely say, hey, this TikToker has gotten really famous wearing our stuff and talking about these things. Just so you know, they don't hold the views that we hold. Or those aren't our views. But I don't know if they should be like, oh, you know, by the way, because you were wearing that, now you get your, your um, scholarship rescinded or your, um, to whatchamacallit, uh, admission rescinded. I don't agree with that. But I do think a correction is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. And I guess to further that view of the correction, um, we could maybe invoke some, let's call them replacement behaviors on the part of the quote-unquote cancelers, where instead of making a petition to try to silence this person or get some, or throw them out of Marquette, instead, maybe we could go on with a logical argument saying, or Marquette, for instance, could go on saying these are not necessarily our views. Or that person who was started the petition could say, I think these views are misguided, and here's why. So instead of trying to censor, try to redirect, or say why, maybe in a marketplace and idea sense, why is, why is my view more correct, or why is my view the one that should be taken instead of this other view? I like that. I like that a lot, actually. Um, that's more productive. It, you know, allows for a more informed citizenry. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't think that would, you know, I don't think that's realistic, to be honest. I don't think that's going to happen. It'd be nice if people did that, but it's a lot easier to say, it's a lot easier to cancel somebody than it is to engage in a debate with them. So what's something that society or even schools could do to try to make these replacement behaviors. But what's something that we could all do, for instance, to try to further productive conversations instead of, I don't like what you say, turn back and pouty face? <laughs> On college campuses, you mean? On ca- well, yeah, let's start, let's start with college campuses. That's the topic. So what, what could we do on college campuses? Is there um, a class? Is there statements that we could put out there? Well, I mean, as for classes and, you know, getting involved, I think that would be a big thing. Getting involved in in things you don't agree with to expand your knowledge, to expand your, um, your perspective on things. Um, I think if there's any liberal listeners um, that are very against, you know, the GOP or something like that, definitely go to a Young Americans for Freedom meeting. I've gone to many of them. Uh, um, at Marquette, and I, I think it's a great place for, for expanding your views if you don't agree with them. You don't have to walk out of there now agreeing, but I think it's definitely a place, you know, if you're super conservative, go to a Marquette Democrats meeting, definitely. Um, so that's one way, um, kind of a grassroots level. Um, I think that you can also, you know, as uh, organizations or just kind of organizations in the official student org sense or just people that come together and have passionate views about something, you can always petition your administration. You can always do it that way. You can send letters. You can join student senate and actually do something with those roles instead of just, um, you know, giving out money to organizations. But that's a different story. Um, There are a lot of places that people can get involved. And I think it's really important that people actually do because People like to complain, 
but they don't actually like to do anything about it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's my take on it. Um, if I if could, I jump could in. oh, uh, sorry, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, you go first. No, no, no you, you go. go. <laughs> Such the Midwest. Uh, <laughs> oh, ladies first. I'll go after you. Oh, thanks. You're nice. Okay. Um, so just to just to like uh, go off of Brian's point, I think that that is a great thing for person to do on their own you know expanding their knowledge base doing things like this you know open and honest conversations about controversial topics um that's great i think that that's not necessarily realistic as you said before for every single person i think that in like a college campus uh setting that it would honestly be great like liam's point i hadn't really thought about it but to have a class maybe where um kind of the point is to learn how to talk about difficult topics and uh, kind of try to, you know, get a nice little gapping between emotions and <laughs> words and actions, you know, because I think that a lot of people like to speak and act emotionally when somebody doesn't agree with what they feel, you know. Um, so I think that's that's a really good point. Um, go ahead, Dave. Sorry about that. No worries. You're all good. Uh, nothing. I was just saying I agree with uh, actually both of your points. I do think I well for one I think I'm very critical of how college campuses are presented because as a whole most universities tend to skew towards being much more liberal mm -hmm. that actually tends to suppress the conservative viewpoints or if you meet someone who's conservative you tend and if you're a liberal you tend to essentially look down upon them kind of uh, saying like they don't really have like, a majority opinion on this campus that's actually something that really concerns me because we're not really promoting freedom of speech uh, by doing that, that uh, inevitably just fosters much more extremism, which is something you see in modern-day politics now. But I do think people need to grow and get outside their uh, really media bubble or just like their college friend group in college and just really out, uh, expand and just learn more about the community, uh, learn much more about a different viewpoint, because that's in the long run going to be much more beneficial. Because in the real world, you're not going to just only interact with people who just agree with you. Your boss is going to have a different viewpoint from you. Your friends are most likely, well... Well, families have a different viewpoint from you. Statistically, you're more likely to spend time with people who agree with you. But the point I'm trying to make is it's imperative to get outside your uh, comfort zone and media zone. Because if you don't, you're not really learning anything, and you're just going to continuously look down upon someone who has a different viewpoint from you. That's just my two cents on this issue. I think something, too, for college campuses is the professors. Um, I mean, the professors decide what kinds of readings you get. I mean, that they can very easily present one type of view and maybe make it seem like they're contrasting things, but they're all sort of towards the left. I mean, they're not on Marquette's campus necessarily, but there's instances in other schools, like just some part of YAF. So they have a campus bias tip line, so they're always exposing all these things at other campuses around the country. And there was one professor somewhere that says that Fox News is not a reliable source and you can't use that. I mean, I would say that's a form of maybe some type of conservative censorship. Um, I mean, in my own class this, <laughs> uh, this semester, um, I had a professor talking about uh, Donald Trump, and he wouldn't say his name. Instead, he referred to him as the Great Orange Pinocchio. Um, and he was jo he was joking, but he was being serious. He said that's the only way. Um, but he took like a 30-second detour class to, just, to say that he's the Great Orange Pinocchio because he's such a liar. And notice that Great Orange Pinocchio also stands for GOP and all the other things where it's like, I mean, should professors really be saying those kinds of things? And also another YAF study shows that 60%, I think, is the number of conservatives in classrooms don't ever say their opinion because of things like this. I mean, I, 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 mean, I would say I'm pretty educated on the most part, but I also wouldn't say I would challenge a professor because I just assume they would know more than me anyway. 
um, or things like that. So I think there's definitely something on the professor's side of college campuses to say like they should put in more effort to maybe not make such um, condescending jokes about Republicans or to make an effort to show Republican and conservative viewpoints in their readings or things like that. That's a very good point because I do, there do seem to be, um, and not always in society, this is kind of a social censoring in a group where if you go into a very uh, liberal group, um, uh, then you're kind of afraid to go against the tide there maybe and afraid that you're going to get shut down or shouted out. And same thing with the other side with a very conservative group. If you have a very liberal opinion, you're kind of afraid to go against that tide. So I think maybe one thing is, especially in classrooms, is probably where it is most acute, which is most needed. We have professors that are much more open or just groups that are just set a baseline, set a understanding before the meeting starts that we are open to other views, just at least hearing those other views. I mean, I, I don't know everything, definitely. And I we all, nobody knows everything. So when you go into something, you have to, I guess, go in with that mentality that this is what I believe, but hey, I could be wrong. So maybe we could even have certain uh, training for professors on how to engage the conservative viewpoint in college classes, because statistically, the conservative viewpoint is about half the United States, and the other half is more liberal viewpoint. Now, maybe the amount who consider themselves Republican or quote-unquote Democrat is smaller than that, but overall, the mix of views is can, can fall into conservative and liberal generally. And there's actually a think tank, the Bipartisan Policy Center, who's launched a task force just on this issue to try to get college campuses to promote free speech and more open thought. And the Academic Leaders Task Force on Campus Free Expression, expression which this is the task force, one of their goals is to for the adoption of free speech statement of each, in each university that connects the value of free expression to the school's history and mission. So let's put this back to Marquette. Should Marquette adopt its own free speech statement? I mean, I would say yes. But then I also, I mean, this is kind of just not totally on the topic, but something that this made me think about is how um, Marquette has said that they're working on their speech codes at the same time. So do those things kind of go against each other in a certain sense? I mean, I, I don't know if we've, we haven't really talked about it so much yet, but there's the whole thing about hate speech and is that protected under free speech? So even if universities did take on a, a free speech code, I mean, how much would that really matter if, other, if schools are still saying that certain things are off limits, you know? And should we, is, is speech these, well, let's first go to, is hate speech a thing? Is, is it something that we can define and point out? And should college campuses have an interest in preventing, quote-unquote, hate speech? So if I actually could chime in on this one, if you, uh, it's going to be very difficult to really give a definition of that because hate speech kind of aligns with torts, which I'm sure Brian can get into. And uh, long story short, hate speech is protected by the first round of the Constitution. So you're really getting into a lot of gray area right there. And uh, kind of uh, define what we talked about earlier, like what is like intent? Did you intend to really hurt someone uh, with your speech? So we're really opening up, opening up a can of worms. And going back to torts, I'm sure Brian could talk about uh, that, since that is a legal term. I defer. 
<laughs> well said. So what are we thinking about hate speech? Is there any more opinions on that hate speech topic? It should it be defined? Should it be prevented? I think there are definitions. I mean, I can't find any super official definitions, but one that I found by legaldictionary.net. I don't know how, how reliable of a source that is. But it says um, it's speech that is intended to offend, insult, intimidate, or threaten an individual or group based on a trait or attribute such as sexual orientation, religious color, or gender, or disability. So I think that, I mean, there are definitely things that fall under that that I think everybody would disagree with, like racial slurs or actual threats and things like that. Um, I think the danger with hate speech is that, I mean, how far can something, like how offensive should something be for it to be considered hate speech? I mean, is going up, I mean, are microaggressions hate speech? I mean, a lot mm -hmm. of people don't even realize that they're doing a microaggression or whatever else like that. I mean, is that something that people, I mean, in a lot of countries, hate speech is illegal and you can get fines. I mean, if I ask someone like, oh, wow, you have a really pretty skin tone. Is that offensive? Like, I, I don't know. Is that hate speech? And I think that's the danger when you start getting into that topic. I would have to say that hate speech, if we're really going to prevent speech from happening, it needs to fall into that category of threat. So everybody on a college campus should feel safe, should, should not feel threatened or afraid to go to class. That would be horrible. I think we can all agree. And if we're going to put a definition of hate speech, where there's no real one definition of this, but if we are going to stop certain kinds of speech, it needs to be very specific in that it threatens some individual or group, and that is in some way intended to cause imminent or even future violence upon that individual or group. So I think perhaps that could be in the statement uh, that Mark Hector could have been potentially white, right? But we also had to, on the other side, make sure that we narrow down that gray area, pretty be pretty uh, definitive in what is that hate speech and what is not. Now, threatening is that if I, um, for instance, this is a controversial topic at Marquette, if I say, go Warriors, what are the Warriors? Well, Warriors were Marquette's mascot before, I believe, 2004, when they changed to Golden Eagles. Now, is that offensive to Native Americans since the Warriors mascot wasn't Native American, going back to the history of the Native Americans in Wisconsin area? So is that HP, is that a threat? I'm not sure that that would be a threat, personally. So, so that, but that, should that, for instance, be protected? Would be another question discussion too. I think this is a, a big topic that we can definitely expand more upon in a future show. It's, <laughs> we're, all, it's a lot we're, to, we're all running out of time here, but <laughs> it's a lot to take in though. So I, I love it. I guess we can go around uh, and it's about that time. So go around and any final thoughts? Yeah. Okay, so I guess to end our show, I would like to put out an example uh, by the ACLU. So that's very, uh, that's really pertinent to free speech and really pertinent to the principle of free speech. So in 1978, the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, defended the right of neo-Nazi protesters to march in Skokie, Illinois, which at the time, Skokie, in Skokie, one in six residents was a Holocaust survivor or descendant of a Holocaust survivor. The ACLU attorney defending the neo-Nazis' right to protest 
was David Goldberger, a Jewish man. While the mayor of Skokie, Albert Smith, stated he did not want violence to erupt from protests, the ACLU countered and said that this was the same reasoning used by Southern mayors to stop civil rights protesters from conducting marches, such as Martin Luther King. The ACLU won the case, although the neo-Nazis ended up not marching in Skokie and instead held a rally at the Federal Plaza in Chicago. The ACLU was not defending the particular beliefs of the neo-Nazis. I mean, it was a Jewish man who was the attorney defending them. But they were defending the principle of free speech. Being an advocate for free speech is not only promoting those views that you agree with, Being an advocate for free speech also means fighting for tolerance of the speech you despise. If we do not tolerate speech we despise, then we set a precedent to be the muzzled, to muzzle ourselves when our views are the minority in the future. Remember to go out there and always talk to the other side and be open and listen to other views. Stay civil, stay informed, because ladies and gents, we have a republic to keep. Thank you for listening today.